Welcome to Save for Half, episode number 25, Awful Green Things from Outer Space by Tom Wom. And speaking of things, joining me as a co-host is the John Carpenter's The Thing, DM Jim. You gotta be kidding. Anyway, joining us also is The Thing from Another Planet, otherwise known as James Arness, DM Corbett. Yeah. Wait, James Arness. Oh, right. Yeah, he played he played the thing in in the, the 1951 version planet, of the right. movie. <laughs> and of course, DM Liz and I, DM Mike, are here as Thing One and Thing Two from Doctor Seuss, Cat in the Hat. <laughs> well, awful green things. We're all things. Although Liz thought about being Ben Grimm, but we decided on the. The Seuss characters. I uh, see. I was hoping we'd be the characters from the the game. Then I could be the mascot <laughs> yeah. or the robot. I don't know. Both are pretty cool. <laughs> anyway, we are going to talk about the board game Awful Green Things from Outer Space. But first, how are we doing in this lovely era of COVID nineteen? Corbett, I'm um good. I think that pretty much sums up all of us. <laughs> that statement right there. <laughs> Anytime I deal with anybody nowadays, everybody says, how are you doing? Uh... <laughs> and I never know how to answer. I'm not unwell, not thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not infectious. <laughs> are you working from home? No, no, I'm actually in the public. I, I, I work in the computer field, so I'm considered a essential. So I have to go pick people's I would crap. have thought that I would be essential as well, but all of the web team, we are all working from home. Now, there are a lot of the actual IT department, which is separate from us, and they are having to actually be on site on the campus. But yeah, we were not considered essential enough to be required to come to campus. It's like, well, all right. Be happy with that. <laughs> On the other hand, you're in Wyoming, so social distancing is kind of a matter yeah, of reality. <laughs> yeah, most of my clients have already been telecommunicating and stuff for, for years, so it's not a huge change. So, kind of like me. It was like, wow, no difference. What about you, Jim? Oh, still safe, sane, and rational so far. 
very blessed that uh, 95% of the work I do can be done remotely. So that's what I'm doing, including the day job. But I have to go in about once a week just to ship a book or two or something like that. And I've got Kickstarter dice that are going to be arriving starting next week. So when I, you know, do the safe thing, follow the protocols when I have to do that. My uh, Mud Puppy Games office space is an office space and some uh, warehouse space in my brother's medical device company. And he's running that really well where there's a, for the people that have to go in sometimes to just print stuff and put it in binders or whatever. Uh, there's a schedule where everybody's just in one at a time and, you know, they hose the place down every five minutes. So glove up, mask up and go take care of business. Oh, hey, hey, Jim, I wanted to thank you. Uh, I mean, I know I technically paid you. Hey, now. It was really nice. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> what, where is this going? <laughs> <laughs> with no, with uh, really... five, you get egg roll. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was, it was really nice to get the um, the mutant murder hobo um, mail in. And, I, and my I have an actual signed card from Jim. Well, it's a signed identification card for mutant murder hobos. I was super happy to get all that. It's really nice to get the the little the little yeah, freelance nice stuff. To be official. And, and yeah, well, while, while we're still getting mail, I enjoy it. <laughs> well, my pleasure. Thank you for supporting it. Oh no, it was, it was just funny because my kids were like, "What's that? <laughs> Are you in trouble? Is this the, the government?" <laughs> I it's am cool the radiation symbol. DM Corbett, agent of murder. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly, I'm I'm grateful to be in the various situations I'm in, so things are not bad for me, as they are for many others. Well, other than Liz working from home, our lives are pretty standard. Our AD&D 2E game has migrated to online since our DM has asthma, so he's especially not wanting to risk getting any infections. We've only had one session so far. It went okay. I mean, it's not as good as live, but, you know, beats no gaming at all, right? Yeah, I think our our two other games are either done or on hiatus at this point because of everything. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I shut down my... Uh, I did the last adventure for my Victorious Chronicle, which has been going on all over two years now. Closed the campaign down. I'm going to take a break for a little while. Alex has talked about trying to get me to run victorious Victorian Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu by Gaslight. Ooh. But I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I haven't run Cthulhu in years. Be interesting. Be a nice change of pace. Higher body count. But, you know. Anyway, to get a little housekeeping uh, done here, we have some patrons to thank. Yes, indeed. And now... For the invoking of the patrons. Five shall be the number of new patrons, and the number of patrons shall be five. No more, no less. Thou shalt not invoke four new patrons, excepting that thou then proceedeth to five. (laughs) Seven is right out. Yes, ma'am. Once the fifth patron has been invoked, then shall we lobbyist the podcast episode out towards our listeners. Our newest patrons are Alan MKG, James S, Charles T, Sasha D, and the letter C. Ooh. <laughs> 
This podcast is brought to you by the letter C. And the number five. And the support of patrons just like you. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> Thank you all for your support, and welcome to the Halfling Horde. Be sure to grab the extras. So the letter C and the number five. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> you sank my battleship. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Well, then unless anyone has any announcements, we shall head into pod break and then come back with Mike and the Mechanics, guest starring DM Jim. I have a little announcement. I don't know if the JMS Liz just announced it's the same JMS, but uh, James S. But a good friend of mine named James S., along with uh, James Smith, Rick Hull, and uh, Todd Bunn, have started a brand new podcast. And I just listened to it, the the episodes that were released today. I just listened to it. These are all the guys from Gateway Games and more, all my homies. And I just want to invite everybody to go check out a new podcast called D Fifty. Shades of D and D. They decided to do a podcast on all the editions and all the retro clones and neo clones of D and D, and play their way through them and do the podcast episodes with the results. So you know everything from D and D, Labyrinth Lord, DCC, Castles and Crusades, and a bunch that listeners won't have ever heard of until they listen to these guys talk about them. They came up with a list and had fifty easy. They wow. said that they might have named it higher if they could get Colonel Zachi to invent a D67 die or something. It's called D50 Shades of D&D. It originates right here in Lake Geneva South. I mean, Cincinnati. And uh, everybody should go check it out. Is it a actual play podcast? No, no, no. They're just going to oh. gather and report back. Okay, so it's not live live recording. It's more of a retrospective on a particular game or session or whatever. It's 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 based in a funny way on uh, Todd's first campaign he ran when he opened the store years and years and years ago, where he, he created the Retro D and D League, and with the same characters they played through every edition of D and D, except this is much oh, larger. Yeah, I remember that. You talked about it a lot on uh, the other show. That's right. It was a long time ago. <laughs> Many right. gray hairs before. All right. Well, pod break, and then mechanics. Into a world without nearly enough quality gamer podcasts, they came. The Grognard Files, a podcast about role-playing games from back in the day. You know they're experts because they speak with British accents. Find them at armchairadventureblog.com, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are served. Soylent Green. It's not in the dictionary. Yet. But in the year 2022, to millions of starving, angry people, Soylent Green will mean life. And Soylent Green will mean death. What is the secret of Soylent Green? MGM presents Soylent Green, starring Charlton Heston as Detective Thorne. He's got a two-year backlog of unsolved murders. Now he's got a case that must be solved. He must discover the secret of Soylent Green. Charlton Heston, Edward G. Robinson, Chuck Connors, Lee Taylor Young, and Joseph Cotton fight for survival in a race to solve the most bizarre riddle ever to face mankind. You gotta tell him, Soylent Green is... 
you will learn the incredible secret of Soylent Green. Soylent Green from MGM. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. This portion of the show is being brought to you by Gravity. When wanting to walk around on the side of our planet without inconveniently being flung to the far reaches of the solar system, more people choose gravity than any other force in the universe. So remember, when something has got you down, it's probably gravity. Clean, dependable, low-maintenance gravity. It's time for Mike and the Mechanics. Sorry, 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 that's Mike and the mechanics of the game. My bad. Jim and the mechanics. Wait, what? I gotta do it? <laughs> or would that be Jim and the holograms? <laughs> oh, I like the sound of that. Truly outrageous. <laughs> Give me a second to change from soft light to hard light. <laughs> As long as you're okay. synergistic about it. You know. Awful Green Things from Outer Space is a two-player board game by Tom Wom. And uh, we'll get into the whole publication history in the show proper. But uh, it's a really interesting game uh, in that it's two-player. And the mechanics are not similar to Cosmic Encounters, but it has that presentation where it's very whimsical cartoon character counters. And you think, oh, this is going to be fun and it is but there's a really serious tiered set of uh, rules mechanics underneath it the premise is that this uh, multi-species spaceship of little cartoon aliens was out exploring and they found a green rock and a bird mascot on a planet brought them back to the ship and it's not a green rock it's a bunch of awful green thing eggs Um, one player plays the uh, crew and the other player plays the awful green things The counters are super simple with just three numbers on them, one for movement, one for how many D6 dice you attack with, and a constitution score, which is how many points it takes to kill that character. Play goes back and forth. There's a placement phase uh, with a list of optional places each crew member starts, and then a random designation when it's the awful green thing player's turn to where the first monster starts, and then the monster player can place the rest of their counters in any adjacent area. So they're, they're stuck starting in one section of the ship. Play is awful green thing player first, crew next, and during the awful green thing player's turn, They have four phases. The first phase is they grow, so all their counters go level up from an egg to a baby to an adult in the grow phase. Then they can move according to how much movement they have on their counter, that number of spaces on the board of the starship. And then if they're in the same area, if they end the move in the same area as a crew member, they can attack. If they, in a prior round, were stunned and stunned awful green things don't grow through that growth cycle, they wake up at the end of the turn. Then the crew player goes, and instead of a grow phase, the crew player gets to grab weapons. The board is littered with all the minutia of weapons, welding torches, pool sticks, fire extinguishers, stun ray pistols, uh, hypo knives, bottles of acid all over the place, and you can grab a weapon, also move, and then also attack. And that's pretty much the game, except that it's a little bit like Steve Jackson's Ogre in that the game is weighted towards the awful green things because they can replenish their forces as the game progresses and the crew can't. 
So it's it's a different strategy playing either side. The way we used to play it, that was the whole game. We would just play till one side was all dead. The rules include much more complicated options and victory points if you want to play it out to the bloody end and the crew player can decide, okay, this is a lost cause and hop in a bunch of the uh, ships little subships that are on board and take off and try and get home. I think that's the base mechanics. Off air, following Robert's rules of order, we have decided amongst ourselves that we will be dropping the top five for this. Instead, a roundtable discussion of the game and our opinions of it. And let's start with first impressions. Liz? Well, my first impression is... It's a really flexible game. You can make it as complicated or as straightforward as you like. The optional rules for leaving the ship, and to be clear, I was looking at the later Steve Jackson versions of the game, not the very first TSR version, but both of the Steve Jackson versions have the outside the Znutar expansion rules, and so you can incorporate those into the game, make it even more complicated, or there's a crew survival, very truncated scenario that you can run. If you have just a short amount of time to play and you want something really quick and fun, you can just do that. It's really amazing for what is essentially such a small rule book, how much you can do with what at first blush looks like a rather simplistic little board game. Corbett, your first impressions? Hmm. Well, my first actual impression was from 92 or 93. I forget which Dundrakhan I was at, but I was having a lot of fun until I played the game. And I remember hating the fact that the blowtorch didn't work the way I wanted it to. <laughs> but it was I was playing with guys that were playing Dawn Patrol, and then we played like Circus Imperium, and then we played um, Awful Green Things. And what else do we play? There's a couple other little quick, I mean, there they're all quick, fun little games. And I just, I remember awful green things thinking, oh, this is kind of dumb and passing it. I played it, but I, I, we went straight from that to, I think we went back to Dawn Patrol and it was more fun to play the tactical stuff that I knew what was going on rather than what I didn't know what was going on. And the thing was, I, I didn't know what was going on because I didn't know that the rules changed. Well, not the rules changed, but the right. mechanics of the game changed. So it screwed me up. And I was at the time, this is just, you know, 20, 30 years ago now. And back then rules didn't change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were extremely vague and we changed them, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Well, my first impression was that I was biased. Okay. So that's fair enough. And I remember when it came out in Dragon Magazine, I think it was issue 28, and they later published that outside the, oh, I can never. Znutar. Znutar options in Dragon number 40, I think it was. And Steve You're Jackson correct? just kind of regathered them all together in the subsequent Steve Jackson publications of it. I, I understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, I really liked how every game, you never knew what weapons would be the best against the aliens, and it would change all the time. And I found that kind of interesting. I like it for replay value. It seemed fun. There would because there was a similar game that I had that Ben and I played a lot called Dawn of the Dead, put out by SPI in like 1978, and it had some passing resemblance to this, except that there were a, a lot fewer weapons, and they always worked or didn't work on the zombies. Flat finito. And as much as I loves me my Romero movies, that could get dull after a while. 
but all the green things, it seems like, I mean, heck, you could have a time where you get five attack dice for a pool cue. I mean, come on. It's it's really, really cute. I like that. What about you, Jim? See, this is why you do Mike and the Mechanics, and I don't. I do a poor imitation, because I should have totally mentioned in that section of the show that the weapons have a random effect on the awful green things each game. <laughs> you have to draw a little chit from a cup. Well, figure out if it speaking, does... Corbett brought it up, but yeah. Well, he covered it, but it's part of the rules, right? I mean, you might, that, that uh, fire extinguisher might do five dice to kill, or it might make it grow a size. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Or, or the blowtorch will do that. Yeah, you, you don't know. It's got that Tom Wong. You get a can of soda that's the most powerful weapon in your the, arsenal. The green things. Ah! So uh, mechanically, what's interesting about that is the weapons do have set values for some of how they work, like there are area effect weapons and projectile weapons and melee weapons, but then they do the the effect is whatever random thing you draw. Uh, my first impression is I adored this game when we stumbled upon it about 1980. The first version we had was the not the bookshelf version, which I have now, but it was the family board game thing when TSR went that way with like Escape from New York and that version of Dungeon and Awful Green Things. Kind of Dungeon my, Long Box, kind of. My brother and I adored that game in Ogre because it was perfect for sibling rivalry and competition. You know, mano a mano... We're going to just keep playing this until one of us figures out a way to make the crew win. Still adore it to this day to the level that I have a 25 millimeter scale, five foot starship Zanuntar occupying most of my living room. I intended to take the Gary Con to run a game and I've sculpted the crew and the awful green things up as 25 millimeter 3D printable minis. That is awesome. So uh, that Steve Jackson games will not let me sell. So that's that. I did it all for the love of the game. Okay, well, I guess then let's... We can just generally talk about some of the things that stood out to all of us. I got a very kind of, it was a combination vibe of the movie Aliens and classic Star Trek from this. Was I the only one that felt that way? No, totally. When I first saw it, I was thinking that colors of the characters were like the red shirt, blue shirt, uh, yellow shirt from Star Trek. I thought they were humans. I didn't realize they were weird alien things. Because yeah. I think the copy they had didn't have the car- cartoons on it. I just kind of saw these little blobby chits. But I was playing with battle gamers, too, at the time. So, yeah. I mean, the comparison is, is apt enough that in the designer notes of the first bookshelf edition, Tom Wan makes it perfectly clear he's never seen the movie alien so people are asking him that question you know as the game was being published in 79 and 80 there are plenty of movies from the 40s 50s and 60s about ships with an alien on board causing trouble but the uniquely egg growing and constantly growing with odd behaviors that that's very alien oh well hey jim i have a question about characters because i was kind of curious if you did it this way and you make all your own figures and since they mutate and grow i was wondering if you did them sort of russian nesting doll style like here's an egg and then here's the, <laughs> the fragment and then here's the actual thing oh, not at 25 millimeter scale with my printers i didn't uh, okay <laughs> just curiosity like that would be pretty neat because there's a very circle of life with the green things oh yeah with the grow segment they go egg to baby to adult to adult laying egg and it starts all over again a game can turn on a dime too the the crew player can be doing really well but suddenly effect of an area effect weapon turns out to blow them into fragments and like the can of rocket fuel has an area effect of every adjacent space on the board doesn't have a wall or a door in between it so you could like have blow them up into 22 fragments and max out all the counters and those 22 fragments are all going to (laughs) grow 
the next <laughs> next turn. Then the game over. Yeah. Game over, man. Game, game over. over. And that does remind me when looking at the various editions of Steve Jackson game that we have, the eighth edition has additional clarification text specifically covering the possibility of what happens if you run out of monster counters, which was not addressed at all in the 1995th edition. So clearly that happened often enough in between the two editions. Like, you know, we probably should address this. <laughs> yeah, the 79 edition just says you can have aliens up to the number of counters and then they stop growing. <laughs> was there a change in the... Um, there was one section where they talked about the weapon effects in order. I, I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, Oh, they probably had that happen a couple times where multiple weapon effects happen at the same time. Grow, shrink, damage, peel, things like that. They do talk about what can happen when what they call a circular effect occurs using several untried weapons at once, which was not in the earlier edition. And how if you're doing multiple untried weapons, but the alien gets killed before one of the weapons is actually used... Well, obviously, they would not have used the weapon on it at that time because, well, it's already been killed. So whatever effect that you had drawn out, you put it the chit back in the cup, and that weapon is still considered to not have been tried. So you don't know what it does yet. So even if you drew something really cool for it, you got to put that back. <laughs> right, right. A single weapon, once you understand the effect, that's the effect that stays on that weapon for the entirety of that game session. But what Liz is talking mm-hmm. about, it's okay, the welding torch and the pool stick at the same time, you draw an effect, but then it goes back in the cup. You don't know what either of those do individually. Or if you try the same two again. But I mean, that, that's the genius about Tom Juan designs almost universally is the presentation is very cartoony and whimsical. And it seems like it's just going to be one of those charming family games, but buried in the rules is like this heavy duty strategy and tiered rule system that if you want to play the game and win and play it really well, you have to think like, okay, which weapons do I grab immediately? And I should try every weapon out once discreet a fashion as possible till I see what it does. That's a, that's a crew move. And that dichotomy between the whimsical art and the deadliness of the aliens is, I think, just really awesome. (laughs) It goes together in a way that you would not expect it to, but it's just perfect for what it is. Is it just me, or does it seem to be a bit weighed toward the aliens? Oh my gosh! Oh yes. no, no, it's not just you. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, totally, totally. It's like I we didn't we only played it a couple of times back in the day. I hadn't even looked at it until now. Which, by the way, folks, we'll have a link in the show notes to the eighth edition Steve Jackson rules for this. But it just seemed like you know the more I read and the more I remembered, it's like were we just playing it wrong or were they freaking lethal? So good, not just me. It was pretty bad. I mean, especially since you're rolling randomly to initially determine how many awful green things there are. It's like, if that roll is really, really bad, you could be starting off with just a horde of them. Well, plus, you can't get more crew. There'll always be potentially more awful green things that can grow, but if you lose your crew, they're gone. Yeah, very much. When my brother and I used to play, the, the awful green things player could boomerang from it's looking like they're about to lose, but they would he would be sneaky and send a couple off to the far end of the ship and start laying eggs and then they were back 
And now I've got half the crew I had to fight them with. At best, you may know some weapons that are particularly good against them, but that's it. Today, I can see the wisdom of why it was written in rules. Okay, it's time to cut bait and get in the flying saucer and take off and see if we can score victory points that way. We didn't play like that when we were kids. Which, again, (laughs) is very alien. Well, the whole self-destruct of the ship concept is just really iconic of just about every sci-fi movie or show out there. Oh yeah, there. I was going to say, so, there's some World War II books where they talk about getting ready to set the scuttling charges and run, run, got to get off the ship before they go off and sink the ship with the weird <laughs> what's-its on board. Well, I thought that was definite benefit of the game was that it, it isn't just Monopoly where <laughs> it just goes forever until somebody's done or somebody throws the board out the window. <laughs> Yeah, flips the table. Yeah, you can decide if if you're playing the crew and things are going bad, you can decide to just try and cut your losses. It's like, I'm going to (laughs) self-destruct. And one last middle finger to deploy. (laughs) I'm glad my middle finger's there to stand up for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Screw you. Those rules for abandoning ship and scoring victory points and trying to pull out a win are interesting, though, because you get less points. You get half the points for self-destruct as you do for just abandoning the ship. But getting out of the ship isn't the end of it. You have to go through that whole text table, endless choose-your-own-adventure thing at the end to see if you get home. You only score your victory points as the crew if you make at home and tom has like his own website and there's a web html 2.0 version of that table on his website where you can just click through and roll dice but you got to get home <laughs> to score the victory mm-hmm. points for abandoning the ship you don't just leave but uh, it's interesting you picked a star trek vibe up from it mike because maybe i'm just a prisoner of my own lenses but uh it seems really red dwarf to me yeah i could see that too. i could see that too especially with lead foot the robot <laughs> excuse me mr david sir i'm going to kill the this awful green thing for you. I think you should get bonus points for the mascot being saved, though, because he is totally ready to die. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely the weakest character to have. You should get a super big buff out of saving the mascot. Just for cute levels, if nothing else. It's like saving the triple. Well, or, because oh. they don't talk about anything on the planet, because why would they? It's all about being on the Zuntar. Or Z- Zuntar. Zun- is there a real way to say that? <laughs> Zanutar. I am I'm, I'm saying Zanutar. But they, but what was keeping, because in the comic, they show it as, oh, they land and all these bird things are around and they run away and they pick up a green rock and just walk off. What was keeping the green things in check on the planet? Were the chickens the thing that actually secretly is really good against them for some reason? Yeah, they're all eating them or something. Oh. <laughs> what was the name of that predator, Tribble Predator they had in the cartoon? They had the three legs and would just sit on a Tribble and gulp it down. Weren't they wow. like grown by Klingons? hard drive failure. But yeah, what you're talking about is the the, the naturally occurring predator that would keep them in check, which is clearly not the little three-eyed chicken mascot birds. By the way, if anyone's confused, the first two pages of the rule book is a cartoon strip by Tom Wom showing basically how the awful green thing eggs first got on the ship and everything. That's the part with the red dwarf vibes because the crew is like, you know, playing zero gravity pool and drinking beer while they're flying the scout ship. Yeah, kind of dark star too, come to think of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or quark. (laughs) So I was going to ask, Jim, that 25 mil scale model of the ship you've got together, do you have like a, uh, how do you track the... effectiveness of the weapons 
do you just have a plain sheet for that or uh, anything well, special? Well, I've got physical doors and then I haven't painted it yet. When I get to the painting, I'll drop black lines to set because the, the one long hallway that goes down the whole ship doesn't count as one long area. Although if you have a line of sight weapon, you can still shoot the length of the hall. Well, I was thinking more, you know, a list of the weapons to determine what effect chit you pull for them. The weapons all have little assignments, and I didn't indicate that in the uh, terrain yet, but a guy with more time on his hands could put a little drop a little badge on the floor to tell you. Okay. I just, I wasn't sure. If these minis were a foot tall in clay, I could have sculpted them 20 years ago in art school, but doing them 3D digital, I was just happy to get the counter numbers on the bases. That was, that was a big deal for me. I'm like, woohoo, I AutoCAD-ed. <laughs> Sweet. Although having them a foot tall would be so awesome. But how big would the ship be? Very big. At 25 millimeter scale, it's close to five feet already. So... Really, really big. 12 times that. 60 feet. <laughs> He could live in that. It could be a one-to-one scale. (laughs) (laughs) Next game we cover will be Killer, also by Steve Jackson Games. So actually, this is one thing I know our listeners probably want to know. Mike, what do you feel about the skill system in this? (laughs) Utterly lame. (laughs) Actually, it's got the best skill system at all. I I guess the closest to a skill system they have is where the crew member starts out at. Oh, to get the uh, the equipment startup? Or... Yeah, that's probably the closest. Well, the you know, skill the, is the thing you pick up. Yeah, or you're in proximity of. Doc and the medics start in sick bay. The hypodermic needles are there. If it randomly turns out they're a super deadly weapon, Doc and the medic are set kind of thing. Ready to go, yeah. There are no sextants on the ship. I guess they have the computers to do that. So yeah. nobody needs a sextant <laughs> skill to fly the ship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That joke is so old, it goes back to other podcasts. And Chase still doesn't listen to this podcast, so he never gets it. I think people might want to know if if they get to the end of this and go, hey, that's an old school game board game I'd like to try. It's out of print. Unfortunately, Steve Jackson Games still has the rights to do it, but they've let it go out of print. But on eBay, they you can get a copy of the various editions for anything from 15 bucks up to 30 or 40 if you want to get collectory. Yeah, didn't Dragon Magazine put out a box set in the mid-80s or something that was just a compilation of all the games they published in Dragon up to that time? They absolutely did. The box set was called The Best of Dragon Games. Yeah. I've often wanted to get a copy of that just so we have them all. Be a nice, convenient way of getting it, especially Flight of the Boodles. See, I'd be wanting it for another Tom Wom art game, Search for the Emperor's Treasure. And of course, Snit Smashing. He's got an interesting game bibliography because his first published game was with uh, Gaidon Games two years after they published Chainmail called Ironclad. And I don't, I've never seen a copy, so I don't know what the art was like, but it's just straight up Civil War naval rules. It's nothing nothing whimsical about that. And uh, my second favorite game of his is called Feudalities. Anybody played that? No. Mm-mm. A German company published it in English like, I don't know, I want to say 2012 or so. And I was lucky enough to play it at a Gary Con with Jim Ward and Tom Wom. So naturally, I didn't win. Not with Jim Ward at the table. It's uh, two or three layers up of level complexity but it's just mike you would love it because outside the cartoon art it's a kick-ass medieval power struggle game resource management combat everything awesome is it still being published or is it like so far out there that it came out in 2012 so i'm sure you could go find feudality we'll have a link to tom wom's webpage on the show notes so surely he's got a link to it over there somewhere the company at least and jim you announced it 
on Facebook, so, it's, so it's, I presume it's okay for us to say like you won the Lifetime Achievement Award, right? Since I Tom just Wom said did. it, absolutely. <laughs> okay, and which is pretty cool. That's, yeah, that's up there. Where do you win it at? Was it Gary Con or Gen Con? It was going to be at this Gary Con when they went to Virtual Gary Con. I make the award each year. I just happen to be the guy who builds it. I, I had to physically mail it to Ernie, and then somewhere online there's video presentation of Ernie. Uh, getting closer than six feet and handing it to him. <laughs> so he kind of got shafted on uh, it being a big deal at a physical Gary Con, but we still tried to, we still make sure he got it. Well, maybe next year they y'all can actually do the ceremony. Yeah, before doing that year's yeah. winner. That's a good idea. Just a suggestion, Luke Gygax, who I know is listening to this. <laughs> you never know. All right. Well, then uh, do we want to wrap up and head into saves? Sure. Sure. What makes a save, and what is going to take half? Since it was your choice, we'll start with you, Jim. What makes a save is I know the historical origin of this game, and it's just super sweet. Tim Cask at Dragon Magazine and whoever the editor of Strategy and Tactics got in a little slagging off on each other war, and Strategy and Tactics said, we publish a game every issue, and Tim said, okay, we're going to do that at Dragon 2, and out of that came awful green things from outer space. Tim told me that they got hammered with so many reprint requests for issue 28. That's what motivated TSR proper to say, okay, this needs to be a real published game. That's just a wonderful origin story that makes the save. What saves for half is it's only a two-player game. I've cobbled together some rules I was going to use at Gary Con for how to break it up in a six-player rule, but since I didn't get to do that this year, I'm not sure how my rules work. But it's not technically a family game. Two people going at it, mano a mano. Mano a creaturo or something. A non-gender specific person, a non-gender specific person. There's definitely no gender for sure. They're like blobs. (laughs) Who are you to judge? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Corvette, your go. I totally love the fact that you have multiple ways to win the game. At least now. I think back back when I first played it, it was it was kind of a kill them or you die. And now it's, it's very much, you don't have to pass go and get $200, you could stand up and walk away from the board altogether. Well, technically, that's you can always win a board game that way. Screw <laughs> you guys, still. I'm going home. I win because I have a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Doesn't make, well, makes half. Well, that makes half. It's a one-sided game. It's a very, if you're playing the alien or the, the green things, you you pretty much have the, the winning hand. It's cool that it's because it's an underdog game, but it's it's very much a the green things are going to kill you a lot. <laughs> I wonder how hard it would would be to set up a solo system for this, just playing the crew, kind of like uh, zombies. Yeah, so the green things just always come. To you. Well, see, that's the thing. The part of the strategy is like when do you breed and when do when you, do you throw drop it? And... Yeah, that's true. That's true. That would there's be a cool. there's a lot of tactics on that side. Unless you just randomized it all, in which case that yeah. defeats some issues. You're you're a very intelligent game designer. You could figure that out. Uh-huh. There you go. Well, what about you, Jim? <laughs> Jim passing the buck again. Uh-huh. <laughs> you figure it out. I'll love to play it. <laughs> and that is old school. <laughs> you figure it out. <laughs> you're the one with the problem. You figure it out. <laughs> I, I've got 80 mini counters to paint. I've got stuff to do. 
<laughs> okay, Liz. Okay. What makes the save? Basically, what I initially spoke of when talking about my first impressions, the flexibility of the game. It's as long or as short as you want it to be. There's even a section in the back, because we talked about how things are weighted towards the awful green things winning. But there are a couple of things in the back under the heading of game balance with some suggestions that you can incorporate to help the crew or if you want to make the game even harder for yourself to help the green things. You can do just about anything you want with this and make it as difficult or as easy, as fast or as short as you need this to be. So I think that's really awesome. What doesn't make the save? I gotta go with what Jim said. It's only for two people. And if you're hanging out with more than one friend, or you're looking for something the whole family can get involved in, it's not going to fit the bill. So you're saying this is the perfect quarantine game for you and Mike. It is the perfect <laughs> quarantine game. You know, it's a great couples game. You can try to kill each other. <laughs> I hate you. You won again. <laughs> that, that would be great later in court. And when the judge asks, what are the grounds for divorce? Awful green things. He cheated. He wedding. He always played the green things. He always played the green things. I never got to kill him. And then she killed all my crew, Your Honor. How? Here, diagonally. Pretty <laughs> sneaky, Liz. <laughs> Mike? So, yeah, that's me. Mine, I like the variety of the game. You've got a lot of different options in play as to what's going to be the most effective. One thing that gets boring very quickly is when people try to work out the perfect winning strategy for a board game. That's extremely hard to do with this because every game, the weapon that's best against the green things is going to be different. I like that. What takes half... It's out of print. It's it's <laughs> awkward to get a copy, especially of the TSR version. Grump, grump. There's a pretty nice copy sitting at Jim's house if you want to go hunt him down. <laughs> yeah. But, I've got three copies. <laughs> but anyway, okay, well, that's been Awful Green Things from Outer Space. Hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope everyone's keeping safe and well. I want to thank my podcast mates for their magnificent amounts of patience when we were deciding months ago in the rotation what we were going to do for my episode, and I said awful green things from outer space. Thank you guys for putting up with me. Hey, I chose Rocky and Bullwinkle, so <laughs> <laughs> I was probably the ultimate instigator for this. <laughs> like, now we're moving into wait, board wait, games. Wait until <laughs> we get to time ship, Jim. You will withdraw that. <laughs> <laughs> I take it all At back. least as far as Mike's concerned. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, say goodnight, everybody. Good night, everybody. See ya. Good night, everybody. Natasha again? Yeah, well. <laughs> Talk, talking about Rocky and Bullwinkle. Dude, professional voiceover actress. Do you hear the way she read those patrons? I uh, know, totally. Totally. The, 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 that was her ultimate, uh, was it the empress of the universe voice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she who must be obeyed. <laughs> Listen to the Liz. <laughs> Awful green Bray arcs. There we go. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
beforehand. 